You're listening to Achievements and Strategies. I am Brian Franklin. My guest today is Sam Fogarino of Interpol, an old friend and uh, someone I've, I'm so excited to have on. And uh, uh, it's, this is going to be fun. Um, welcome, Sam. Hey, how are you? Good, good. Before we, before we go on, I have to announce our our sponsor, Amazeco, which uh, is A M A Z K O, uh, which you'll find on Amazon. They they provide uh, office supplies like uh, this this tape dispenser, which claps like a monkey when you pull on it. Which we'll have to you'll have to check. It's probably it's great for your kids, Sam. Um, yeah, yeah, your toddler would love this. All right, L- little B would die over that okay we're gonna make sure you get one of those yeah he always he's always getting into the tape dispenser there you go well te- well te- text me your address and we'll make sure we we'll make sure we'll get we get you one but uh find, find them on amazon and amazeco thank you to them okay so sam good to see yeah. you uh how's, to- how's coronavirus treating you what's going on you're, you're enjoying some i mean I, that's ter- obviously a terrible situation but you you're getting some downtime that you probably didn't expect were you guys on tour or about to be on tour at this time no, we were going to, well, we would have been, if there was no pandemic happening, I'd probably be in New York uh, working on the music we've been working on remotely, uh-huh. um, which has been great too, you know, again, uh, in, in a very bad, you know, overall situation, Yeah, something was revealed that, you know, after 20 years, you know, it's best to be in a room together. It's, it's the Interpol is a band, no matter what technology we have. But it was really cool that we didn't uh, falter, yeah, because we be together and that we could really kind of hone in on the intrinsic vibe that's always there. You know, uh, and you always hear that from like these classic rock artists. We're like, you know, oh, we don't need to be together in a room anymore. You know, yeah, yeah. But but you and, guys are traditionally, you know. It, you you were doing a lot of your writing in the room, right? I mean, that's that that was something that you would do as a as a band more more often than not, right? Pretty much, just you know, as per usual, Daniel would have uh, a lot of uh, pre arrangements, you know, uh, better than just chord progressions, not complete songs, you know, without Paul. Oh, just Oop. spilled my water. That's okay. My you want to you want to pause or do you need to pause? Okay, you're good. Um. But yeah, I mean, it was still like a lot of it, 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 it was just short of not knowing what, you know, w- walking in the room and going, well, anybody have any ideas? You know, we yeah. would start on something and, you know, I mean, it hadn't changed much since the beginning. I mean, it, we were in basements and rehearsal spaces Yeah, you know, that any band, you know, uh within or outside of our our standing would use you know so so how is it now like well now i'm just in my in my studio at home you know in north georgia and the good thing about that is the autonomy while still working on something collaborative so instead of having these two other musicians who think they're drummers Standing over the drum kit, going try this, do that. Like I get just get to think about what I'm gonna do over and over and over again, and don't record it. Don't well, I record everything, but don't present it to them until like 
I put a period at the end of it. Do you still get the the feedback that it changed this, do that, or is or is it more fully realized in your head, and then it and then they just accept it that way more? Yeah, it's very. The changes are so minimal at, at this point. You know, with the last track I sent them, which was I thought was like such a going to be just awful. Like I thought I, you know, just spit something out. I tried to like, yeah. you know. Hum- on it and they were blown away i thought that my execution was just so lame <laughs> they were like this is awesome so you know thank god i still have that yeah you know you, you know when you you can't project your own doubt how, how far um i apologize my normally my wife uh, would be taking the dogs here uh, but she's out and so i so you might you might my asshole dogs might interrupt us at one point so um well, when you well, first of all, how far into this are you? Are you and uh, I mean, are you? Where, how many songs are in? I think we're. I don't know how many. It's a lot of songs. Really, it's more than usual. Uh, I don't even know how many songs, but it's it's nearing a year. It was last summer that I got started. Yeah, we're getting close to a year. So in about three weeks, we are going to get together. Uh, in person, but it's going to be at a remote location in upstate New York, away yeah. from people and in a big enough house to where we don't have to breathe on each other all the time. Cuddleworthy Studios, <laughs> the Cuddleworthy Cove, or something. <laughs> no more cuddling cove. No more cuddling cove. <laughs> and what's and what's the purpose of that meeting? To sequence it or to try and you know pick and choose oh, what you like? Or yeah, live. Yeah. Oh, you. Oh, you are. Oh, yeah. Wow. To like take these, you know, what we did. Oh, uh, cool! We recorded piecing together MP3s. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. Then we're going to just play it out because we're we're going to record at the end of the summer. Okay, so these aren't these are are these demos in in a sense? I mean, are you are you writing? Is this the writing process, and then you're going to re-record them as a as a fully realized album? Okay, That's correct. Got it. So this uh, we've been going through the demoing process, writing and demoing. You mm-hmm. know. Uh, everything that would happen, you know, if we were together from the step one has been happening. It's just been remote. Yeah. So, and well, I think what's different is like, I'll hear what Paul hears at the top of an idea, like straight away. So Daniel will send out these, these, you know, you know, I don't want to diminish like how far he takes it. So better than, than, um, not quite fully realized, but not just I, like I said, yeah. not just progressions here. These kind of incomplete songs. Um, I guess he could perform them a, a, a version of them by himself without boring the hell out of people. Yeah, put it that way. But it's still absent of the counter melody of Paul, like Paul's voice, his lyric, and his guitar playing, as well as his bass playing. So there's been times where. Uh, I will just track to what Daniel did and send it to Paul. Yeah. And he'll write a baseline off of that. But in this, in this kind of situation, I really, my ego is not wanting or needing to inspire. I prefer to have as much music as possible to fill in. Yeah. There's no energy, you know, and I can't, we can't converse about it. So it's kind of cool to hear like, when Paul sends a, a demo that has bass and a vocal and at least Daniel's guitar, it's like a dream. Yeah. 
It's like I the songs laid out, man. Like I just got to f- connect the dots. So I, I noticed in the last album, in the last full album, Marauder, that um, that you're. I didn't notice. Everybody noticed. This was a drumming album. I mean, this was if you if you string together all of the Interpol albums, like this was the one, in my opinion, that highlighted your drumming skills as much as any of them, or more so. And it was certainly higher in the mix. Like the drums were 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 pushing, and um, I don't I don't know if that was intentional or not, but it certainly to me came out that way. Uh, it, how do you think this new material is? is different perhaps than the last album or is there, is there a difference? Is it following the, the same um, evolution of, of uh, you know, kind of stripped down more Rocky drumming stuff or what can we expect? A little, you could, there's still, there's definitely some of that picking up from where it left off, but it did kind of morph into something else. Yeah. You know, um, I think a lot of men my age like have been rock drummers for most of their lives, you know, kind of, kind of temper and, uh, uh, or dabble in jazz. Uh-huh. And that don't work for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, me and jazz, man. It just, I, with all due respect, jazz doesn't like me. Yeah. So, well, you hold your sticks the wrong way. That's the first yeah, thing. Yeah. That was what Jazz said. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sorry, Jazz. I can't. Yeah. But where I ventured is is like more like R and B, like stacks. You know, impulse records. You know, mm-hmm. just kind of Bernard Purdy. You know, and I've I always been a big fan of Dennis Davis, who played on a lot of the mid era Bowie stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah. He's just a whoo, phenomenal. And, you know, he kind of has that kind of R&B vibe and he just eloquently, you know, in a rhythmical sense, like merges it with a a rock pulse, you know, because you Mm -hmm. can feel like it. And, you know, so again, like this is music that doesn't really stem from, you know, that 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 part of the branch of music, which makes it really interesting because then it doesn't sound like me just trying to rip off you know, James Brown's rhythm section. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, but you're bringing a little bit more, a little bit more swing and soul to the latest stuff. Is that, or, you know, a bit, a bit, you know, it just, however it sits within these rock songs is yet to be heard, but it, it, it creates something new, a new approach. Yeah. Kind of cool. I think it brings out a, a, a little more of the angular side that you heard more on like bright lights and some of antics. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I got really sick last year, non-COVID related. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's been a while. Recovery has been kind of slow energy wise. So yeah. I haven't been bashing away. Can you talk about what happened or is that, you know, want to get into I, that? I, I had an aneurysm. You you did? Yeah. Uh, I had a, uh, a full on, like, wow. loaded blood vessel. Thankfully, it was really tiny. Okay. What, 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 uh, what, how did you know what was happening? What was the scenario? I I didn't know what was happening. I thought that I was having a really, um, bad episode of tinnitus. It's just major ringing in my ear, but then my right side kind of, uh, was doing funny things. (laughs) I was limping and my hand was shaking and I was like, whatever that is, it's not happening. Yeah. 
and like you know as if like the football coach told me to go outside and walk it off right and i think i might have been kind of shocked and you know like just was in full denial that this could be happening and thinking that i could walk this off was really (laughs) yeah what is it with athens drummers and aneurysms man what's what the hell god you know, um, Athens is the stroke. Okay, it's the the southeast is the stroke belt of the country, yeah. and North Georgia is the belt buckle. That's what yeah. a quote from a specialist who uh, studies all this stuff. Um, I don't know because it's really relaxed. Yeah. So what? So what happens? You you go you go to the emergency room and and I, you know, foolishly, I went a day later, and I was very lucky because I could have died. Yeah. You know any worse i would have went to sleep and, and not have woken up um but i went to the emergency room and um you know they they went through all the steps to, to find out what happened i and i thought i was going to be waiting in the er considering this is like this is last june this is like at the height of oh, pandemic man. yeah you know? and you know the er was full up and i thought oh, it's you know you're having you know, you were probably doing drugs or whatever you musician type. <laughs> and I didn't wait but two minutes. Yeah. And I got sent back and that kind of freaked me out. And um, you know, I was in there for two days. And what they did? They did a lot of, I had I had two um MRIs, um, a lot of, you know, tests, a lot of blood tests and you know, um but they were they were quite amazing. I say it was a, it was a young, this young doctor who was African, possibly from a European by way of a European country, mm-hmm. or it could have been directly from Africa. He was the most amazing doctor I ever experienced. I mean, he just had the ultimate bedside manner and clearly explained everything. And at one point, I tried to leave. You know, I. I, I kind of blame it on being kind of traumatized and not really accepting you know, the whole thing. Yeah. 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 I was like, you know, my daughter's at a friend's house, you know, she's been there overnight and I think her dog's at my house. I got to go walk the dog. And he's like, you can't leave. And, you know, I started crying. Like yeah. I was really kind of stressed out and, you know, it all kind of, and he just put his arm around me and said, hey, look, Oh man. And, uh, so did they you know, did they have to stent it or 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 because no, no, no. it was really minute. Okay, but and enough to did. but enough to affect you. So yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So I mean, it's taken a while for me. I mean, I wasn't in a wheelchair or anything. Um, my speech was slurred for about two weeks, um, and you know this side of my body here is uh, weaker. Yeah. So, I mean, I could still do. I mean, I'm not not bedridden or anything. And well, you're obviously able to drum. Um, but but has it changed your? I mean, first of all, let's just go back a step and just an emotional impact of that. I mean, it's just got to be. I mean, terrifying as as not just not just as a drummer, but also as a father, father, and you know, and you know, of 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 you have a toddler. Um, and yeah, that was the worst part of it. Really is how who this will impact yeah you know um and will it ever change right i mean you must have i mean like is this as good as it's going to get right yeah yeah um and you know it just really changes the way i I look at everything now you know and 
And with it happening during this pandemic was just an extra layer of surrealism, you know, yeah. and feeling extra lucky that, you know, within all this happening, I get sick and I'm still okay. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I've and had a couple of health scares in the last couple of years and thankfully everything's fine. Um, yeah, but, you, but yeah, I get it. I, you know, I, I, you start to, you, you know, especially at our age where, you know, <laughs> you start to look at things a little differently and you see, see people around you that, that, that don't get through, uh, for, you know, life as far. And, and, and it start it, it can, those, these moments can, can truly rattle you, you know, they do. It, 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 uh, I, you feel like, uh, I can only imagine like, if somebody wanted to kill themselves and was like at that edge, at that very edge before jumping off and stopping, yeah, you know, realizing, whoa, wait a minute, there's just I can't yeah. do this. Selfish. There was a sense of guilt that you know, how did I bring this upon myself, and it's going to affect my children, and my partner, and my family. You know, yeah. Um. How, so how do you how how have you gotten um. Uh, through that mental side, I mean, there's a physical recovery that you've had to go through, but there's the mental stuff. Has the men, uh, you know, have they had to go um, talk to somebody to get through it? Or, or? I, I've been in therapy for. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't. Have, I should have known that question. That answer. It's been. A, you know, it's it's been a while since we've really talked, and and certainly before you, before you had this, but but uh, you know, it's probably been over a year since we talked in the you know in person, but. Uh, but I, I, yeah. So I should have, I should have remembered that. <laughs> That's which therapist, you yeah. know. It's like, yeah. Hmm. Um, yeah. Thankfully, I had somebody to talk to. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, had a couple people to talk to professionally, so um, I was covered there. And How, you know, I'd been, I'd been on kind of, um, um on a track where I was just trying to straighten myself out in terms of, um, any kind of, uh, emotional restlessness, you know? Yeah. Uh, I have ADHD, which causes, there's a, 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 a component to adult ADHD, especially which people don't really know about. It's called, uh, emotional dysregulation. And it, it, it's like, if you, as a friend critiqued something um, and I took it negatively, I, there's a potential to me to have like an overreaction, which would leave you like, wow, I, oh, sorry, Sam, I didn't mean, and it, it, to other people would be like kind of a nominal you know, yeah. thing. But you know, to somebody that suffers from like a muscle dysregulation, um, it feels you may know cognitively that ain't nothing wrong with what Brian said, but there's almost a physical sensation that tells you otherwise. It's like you go into fight or flight mode. Yeah. The ADHD brain is flooded with cortisol almost all the time. So you're so close to being like utterly defensive, defensive. Yeah. Over nothing. And it's and and you know at the same time there's like another voice. It's almost feeling like I'm, I'm, I'm still like that with my ex-wife. <laughs> Are we all? Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter. It could be like hello. You know, like. <laughs> <laughs> 
hello. What do you mean hello? <laughs> You know, it's what yeah. it feels like. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. That's hard to deal with when you're in a band and you're in a romantic relationship. Yeah. How did your band, did, I mean, how did your band, uh, you know, the, you've kept this private. I don't know if this is, if this is news or not, if you've talked about this outside of, outside of this before, but um, how did, uh, how did the band react when you, when you told them what was going on? I think they were s- scared as hell. I think they were they were they were for like a couple months. They were as getting constant texts, like just checking up, yeah. making sure okay. And Brad, our touring bass player, offered to come down here and and stay with me. My partner at the time was in Valdosta with our child. We were separated for a period. Uh huh. All this kind of there was a lot going on. Yeah. You know, it, it, it imposed separation in my relationship. COVID. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then getting getting really sick and um but it was it was good it actually was really good to be alone too yeah you know um to really just kind of utterly take care of myself and and, and, and evaluate your kind of rede- rededication to the things that are important to you and that kind of thing yeah, yeah. yeah exactly exactly and has it affected the way that you drum are you is it are are you a different are you approaching it differently now because of any uh, effects? Yeah, and I'm trying and doing pretty well at tackling things I was always intimidated by. Things that are a little more technical. Um, not that I plan on, you know, becoming Terry Bozio <laughs> <laughs> or Neil Peart or, or some right. math technician. But just, just you know, uh, having extra tools in the toolbox, yeah, you know, to apply in in the way that I would, and um, it's just yeah, just, just things like that that I, you know, out of self doubt, you know, have never really tried, kind of across the board, like while recording and in terms of writing music, which is a greater challenge because I'm always behind a drum kit more, um, things like that to just. You know, and accepting my approach at things, which is angular, you know, even when I'm trying to do something kind of basic and simple, it's just going to be bent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, 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 I'm relieved uh, to that you're okay and, and the prognosis is, is good, right? And, and, yeah, good health. And, so. and, and that you're still, I mean, I mean, you're still able to do what you, what you love. I mean, it's just got to be a, an absolutely terrifying thing to, you know, to, to wonder, you know, what that's going, you know, what that means in terms of, and, you know, in terms of your future and, and, and just the, yeah. you know, your passion. And well, the first yeah. thing was like my hi-hat hand. <laughs> yeah. I can't do anything with that yeah. without, you know, I mean, if it was my left hand, I could still pull it off. Yeah. Do it. You know, hold a tambourine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, oh man. Yeah. Definitely, um, it was one of the first things I did too. Yeah, felt up to it was get behind the drums, and you know it was scary to feel like not even winded, but just weak. I couldn't even. I, I lacked so much energy that I couldn't become out of breath. Yeah, I couldn't be winded from doing it. And I think what I've learned is, you know, I could still be powerful, you know, and have not lose any of that Interpol bombast. Uh, but I don't have to exert so much, 
you know it's kind of loosening up but still doing the same thing you know yeah releasing some of the uh, physical tension that's like pent up um and that comes from a lot of just self-doubt you know is is it yields something else so it becomes hyper sam now when you say self-doubt i mean is it because you're there's just so many drummers out there that just do it differently and that you think that, I mean, where, why do you have self doubt after, after 20 years of Interpol and, you know, 30 years of music and, and, you know, where does that come from? <laughs> well, I think that's, I a, feel like I'm sounding like Howard Stern here asking, you know, tell me about your father, you know, but, uh, well, you know, I mean, childhood aside, it's a big, uh, a lot of ADHD people suffer from, uh, a lot of self-doubt it, it's kind of it's kind of false in a way there it is on cue yeah yep. it's kind of kind of false in a sense because i still do get up and drum in front of tens of thousands of people sometimes so it, it's more of a of a of a you know internal um thing that i have to deal with like it it it, it doesn't rule my life yeah it does creep in I think it affects more than <laughs> more than what I display. Like I would never cancel a show, yeah. you know, or fall apart on television or something. And actually, it, it's funny because when I do perform with Interpol and we play big shows, like that's kind of when I feel the best. It, the self doubt is is very reflective. It's when you when, know when you're alone. Yeah, and just questioning everything that I've done or want to do. Yeah. But, you know, I'm very pragmatic otherwise, you know, and um, my band, you know, we're all pretty much uh, can be emotional train wrecks, you know. <laughs> well, that, and, that's, that's just part of the, that's that's part of what makes you guys Interpol too, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that tension in the music comes from, you know. Um, exactly. Like, if, if our good friend Rob Elba wasn't Rob Elba, there'd be none of his lyrics. Right. Yeah. Well, let's talk about. Let's go back and talk a little bit about that because we have we have to touch on that just out of out of duty because you know he, he's he's brought you into my life and um, so uh, you you know you, you start your life in Philadelphia. Your mom brings you down to Florida to chase your sister, right? Basically, and and um, and at some you know you you, you start drumming and uh, you're. And you wind up in the Holy Terrors. Do you remember? Um, and, and and for those Interpol fans uh, that haven't checked out uh, the Holy Terrors and Sam's work in that band, then it's it's a shame because that that is a a whole other side of Sam Forgarino that you have to that you have to go check out. It's it's one you know arguably one of the best bands in South Florida history. Post punk, kind of a Pixies. Um, type of thing, you know, Pixies meets The Clash meets, uh, you know, some other things. Yeah, and um, and and you know, in, in that genre, at least, at least, and um, and you meet uh, somehow or another, you meet our our, our friend Rob, who um, uh, is is a legendary onstage roaster. Among, I mean, he's an enormous talent and singer songwriter, and I've collaborated with him, as you know, and all, and all that. But he, but but um, equally as known for his stage persona <laughs> as being, <laughs> as being, uh, you know, kind of a roaster and a hard ass and funny and and whatnot. How did how did you two uh, first meet? And uh, do you remember like your first times in the band where where no doubt he was yelling at you? Uh, 
Yeah. But Rob didn't yell directly at me for a couple of years. Yeah. Probably because he was yelling at Dan. <laughs> Dan Hosker, the late Dan Hosker, the guitar player of the Holy Turks. That's that. Uh, they put those guys put out an ad in the New Times. Uh-huh. The the you know Dade County Broward County uh, Arts Weekly. Yeah. And my girlfriend at the time found the ad, and she's like, "This is the one you should answer." And I remember it saying, um, "Sonic edgy beautiful noise." And she's like, that's why you should call. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And and at the time, like, she, this woman, uh, she took me a, a level deeper into, you know, music to the left. You know? When you say I, to the left, you mean, like, more punkish kind of stuff? Post-punk, you yeah. know, industrial, just. What were you listening left- to prior to that? I, you know, I mean, I, I was still kind of deep. You know, I knew the Smiths were. You know, I uh, love always loved the Clash for years already, um, and a lot of other things. Um, but she took it. She introduced me to Bad Brains, and to like Ministry side projects like Lard and Palehead and uh, New Model Army and all these the super yeah. stuff, which just led me down another vein that that was opened up. So that was one, you know, that was kind of like brain expanding. And then I answer the ad and go to Dan's father's house. And this is 1990. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it was about to turn 1991. And, um, you know, I meet Dan. He thought I was a homosexual. <laughs> <Straight away. laughs> um, and these are punk rock guys. So there was no, nobody cared. Yeah, you know, he's almost like, yeah, I thought you were gay, and I was like, uh, a lot of people thought that back then. Um, and then Rob came over, and Rob had long hair. In ninety one, really? Oh wait, yeah. I guess I guess I've seen pictures. Of I didn't meet him until ninety three, yeah. so I yeah. Down to his shoulders, like shoulder length. Yeah, he looked like you know uh, a Ramon, and <laughs> he came off. He, he and he had that just. Immediately was to say, hey, hey, how you doing? And immediately said, Dan, I wrote this song last night. And he played, you remember Shine? Mm-hmm. Of course. Holy that he played it yeah. right there. I was just like, I was kind of blown away because it was happening in front of me on an acoustic guitar. And the whole time change thing, a tempo, not even time, a tempo change. And I was just like, say what? Yeah. He, <laughs> and, he's a very tech, you know, and I... I don't want to spend too much time on Rob because, you know, it's Rob, but, uh, and we, we love him, but I, I don't want him to dominate this podcast. But, um, but, but he is such a technical writer. I mean, his, his music is very, very difficult to play, uh, you know, along with, you know, and, and so I, I, you know, not, not that Interpol isn't, but it's, it, it it's a different, you know, it's a different animal, right? Yeah different beast and i think it was the five years in holy terrors that like primed me for anything i want to do and it that did give me some confidence because that music was challenging to play it was hard to play yeah even when you knew it it was hard to play to remember i mean there would be those cool moments where like the verse of the song would would find a really good groove and then it would be instead of like going 
16 times, it would go like 13 times. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or some odd number or like, you know, at the last, you drop the last beat <laughs> of the sixth <laughs> measure. Just weird things like that, that took forever, you know, in the rehearsal process. I, I do have to like eternally thank him for his patience. Yeah. You know, he, he was somebody who knew too, like exactly who should be doing what. Well, I kind of feel like, like, you know, his, uh, the biggest demonstration of his patience is that he's still friends with us. <laughs> but what, um, and, and it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause like, I, I know at some point you came off, you were, I can't remember if it, which, which of the shows it was. Maybe it was like one of the 2009 or something. Um, when, when you came down and did some show, did a show with, uh, the whole terrors at the, at Churchill's and, yeah. and, um, and, and, and you you were just like so exhausted, like <laughs> just like mentally and physically, like you know, by the end of the set, you you were just begging for mercy, you know. <laughs> I was kind of like, how did I do that for an hour? Yeah, yeah. Like, and I, you know, I look back at some old older video clips and stuff, and it's just, you know, I was a scrawny, you know, twenty something year old with boundless energy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, uh, um, you know, in, in thinking about this interview, I started to think about the uh, much reported uh, almost uh, acceptance of Marilyn Manson, which I, I, I learned, I didn't know that your dad wanted you to go into. I thought that's funny. But, uh, <laughs> but it, 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 it was funny. Yeah. Not that you would have lasted in the band this long, but I, but, but with him in the recent news for, you know, getting into, getting into some trouble, I was, I was thinking, man, yet another, yet another near, uh, near miss on your part, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I probably, like you said, I probably would have lasted a tour cycle if that. Yeah. Um, cause I was susceptible to doing crazy stuff myself, especially drug wise back then. So I, you know, that would have just killed it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, that would be awful to get just to be involved with anybody, you know, at a professional level such as such as his, and then to have this the bottom drop out. Forget about like the accusations and what that really means. Yeah, you know, to the but peripheral just, who are dependent upon a livelihood are they're done. Yeah, everybody in the band, the entire touring. By, yeah, by association too, because people, you know, I mean. It, forget the court case you know he's it's just he's done yeah. and you know just to have to say that hey what'd you do for the past 10 years well i was a drummer in maryland man thank you see you later you know yeah um does everybody that that's a successful musician and maybe been part of the rock and roll scene and done done you know sex drugs and rock and roll at some point in time in their tour do you start to go and inventory everything you've ever done uh, uh you know on, on or off a tour bus you know yeah. in the last 20 years do you go back and and kind of see well man i just you know did i do something wrong that's going to come and bite the band at some point i have i yeah. have I haven't done anything yeah, wrong. Don't, yeah, careful. Because <laughs> I, yeah. I, I pride myself on being pretty much a gentleman, even within a sleazy situation. Like yeah. I never, I could never think of forcing myself on anybody. I, I like, I'm all about cheap trick, man. I want you to want me. Yeah. 
I mean, that's 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 what it's all about. Like forcing somebody to do any anything. Forget about like sexual with a woman or another guy. Yeah. Forcing somebody to do and to go to the store with you is beyond me. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. By free will, and like, if they don't want to hang, that's it. And you know, so if you want, if you want, if you wanted a threesome, you had to write a. You guys had to write a song about it, right? There's no I in threesome. Remember yeah. that. Yeah. Is uh, which one of you was the cat? Who wrote that song? Was that? I mean, oh, that's Paul. That's Paul. Well, yeah. Paul's <laughs> all the way. Uh, <laughs> At the time, we 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 were floored by that. Yeah, <laughs> it's a bold it's a bold lyric. I list, I was listening to it this morning. You know, kind of going back and reviewing the different albums, and you know, and and I listened to it this morning. I was like, that's a pretty bold lyric for when it came out. You know, and I love the sincerity behind it. Yeah, because like, it doesn't. You know, that could easily be like a punk rock joke song. You know what I mean? You yeah. Just the tempo and like do do you know deliver the vocal in a snarl. But like he is like bleeding heart, you know. Why don't we give something new a try? It's really it's it's not devious. It's it's just open and honest, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I love about yeah. about Paul is that he could take something that somebody else does. It's going to be trite. Yeah, it's going to work, and he could do it and make you kind of uh, become emotionally invested in it and agree with yeah. him a gentle delicate aspect to what be to what can be construed as very sleazy on 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 the other hand you know but i i I did the inventory on the whole tour bus like always you know thankfully nothing had ever questionable happened yeah Yeah. everybody was invited on the bus that was on the bus and was always free to leave whenever they wanted to yeah you know yeah, it's it, but you know it's 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 interesting because there's you know you really just had to be if you were creepy that's enough you know to to come you know come out and um, and that's as we're seeing with a lot of creepy people um, that were just yeah. creepy uh, when, you, when you're you know like Paul and myself and probably Daniel as well like we're all kind of hopeless romantics you know so it's more like you know. It would be this would be the situation. Yeah, we were doing blow, having drinks, and I told her I loved her deeply, and she took off. <laughs> oh man! I think I fell in love. I said, "What's your surname?" I'm in love with you. I need to know your surname now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like speaking of uh, speaking of doing blow, um, Churchill's. Uh, can you talk? <laughs> can you can you talk about? Um, you know, Churchill's is is a legend. You know, for those outside of South Florida, is a legendary uh, CBGB's like bar, dive bar that has been the incubator for many. You know, for any real like rock band in South Florida, but but uh, you know, for for the Holy Terrors, for Marilyn Manson, for the Mavericks, for a bunch of different bands, right? Sorry. Touring bands. Touring bands. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Jacuzzi oh, Boy. I mean, so many touring bands, really. Um, yeah. But I saw Steel Pole Bathtub at Churchill's. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, um, the Breeders, you know, just played there a few years ago. Um, and then you move up to New York, and and the Luna Lounge becomes your place. Um, is that correct? I mean, would, would you were you based at? I mean, I know you're like kind of 
it's associated with your beginnings. But were you were you based at the Luna Lounge like you were based in Churchill's kind of? Somewhat, somewhat. It there was. I think we were more based at Brownings. Okay. Um, but luckily, when I joined the band, it, it was all about upward movement. Because they, you know, they had done impressively had done a lot of legwork for as like dysfunctional as they were before I joined yeah. with certain aspects. They knew how to get shows and they knew how to bring people and they were getting really good support by uh, paper magazine. And so, I mean, I was used to playing like every hundred shows to like maybe 10 people with the hundredth, you know, it would be a full house. You know, and uh, even after I'd moved to New York with other bands, I was, you know, played in for a minute. And then I remember playing the first show that, let's see, we the first show I played with Interpol was at the Mercury Lounge, and it was a supporting a band called Six by Seven. So there was a lot of people there, and I didn't count that. Then we did like a CMJ thing. A lot of people there, I didn't count that. Then we played at Brownies. And that's when I was waiting for like, okay, there's going to be 30 people here. And it was, it was damn near sold out. Yeah. And like, wow. Oh, and so there's only, now it's going somewhere different, huh? Yeah. yeah, And you know, it was all about getting a headlining show at the Bowery ballroom. So, you know, I did, we did it. I only, I only got to play at Brownies with Interpol like a few times and, I think I played at Luna Lounge with Interpol once, and then by the time we were out on the Bright Light Cycle, we had to play as Cuddleworthy. Yeah, and it became unsafe. There were so many people there. Um, so I think that'd be a better question, really, for like Daniel and Paul, and what what it would have been prior to you coming in. What was the yeah? What was the, like the kind of mainstay, like home base? Yeah, and I would venture to say it would be Brownies. What was the first uh, gig that you remember where you were where you were truly shitting your pants, realizing this is so far beyond even bow, you know Bowery Ballroom standards? Like this is now at a level that is mind like uh, mind blowing to you. What do you remember when you felt that? I think it might have been. Um, I want to say, and this is for a couple reasons. Uh, it was a Hammerstein ballroom. I think we were doing a two-night stand. And David Bowie had come up into our dressing room before the show. Oh, wow. And I think it was coupled with his fucking amazing presence, needless to say. And the fact that why he's here. You know, yeah. there's a reason why he's here. You know, aside from being enamored with him coming to visit, like the grace of God is bestowed upon you at this moment musically. Yeah. They're for the same reason that all the norms are there for those beautiful, normal people. Like, yeah. This, yeah. You know? Wow. And that just, and, and then the next day we were flying to Europe. Yeah. So it was all highly romantic. And that kind of like, that's a rival. Yeah. This, by any, by any definition, if David Bowie comes to see you, it's yeah, a, yeah it's <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> like the, yeah. like he was such a gentleman too. Like he knew everybody's name. We had met. He invited, invited us to one of his shows after the bright. So it was in between Bright Lights and Antics, 
And from that one time, which had been like maybe two years prior, he came to our show, remembered everybody's name. Now, he might have, you know, had yeah. information in his pocket, but the fact that he knew that, that that's how you that's how a gentleman presents himself, you know, and the time the, the fact that he would take the time to to do that and just come. And he's like, I wanted to come before the show because after the show, I got to go. I got to go straight home, put the kids to bed. Yeah. Yeah. And and he was just like, uh. Uh, yeah, I'm here with uh, one of who's a designer from Christian Dior, Hedy Slimane, and uh, who, in his own right, was pretty much like in that high fashion world was fucking punk rock. Yeah, like he brought like <laughs> he got away with murder. Like he brought edge to something that is for the one percent, you know. And it was kind of crazy that somebody like him. I don't know his history. But I, I did admire, I did keep up with him for a short time in that period and found it very cool that he, it was almost like he was subverting something. It was yeah. kind of bad. So as you're doing this, you know, now you've got David Bowie, you're meeting these, you know, you're meeting these people, you're, you're the talk, you know, as the album picks up steam, you're, you, you know, it becomes the talk of the town, no pun intended, you know, um, you know, it, it NYC, you know, and, and yeah. PDA start, you know, be, becomes an anthem for, for, for New York, you know, in a way. And, um, uh, you know, post nine 11 at this point. Uh, right. And so, you know, for, for, for your younger fans who don't, you know, don't know the order of this, um, it, it, it was a, it was an important song. And, uh, how does it, you know, you're, you're such a gen, you are such a gentleman and you are a, a humble guy, uh, was was it hard dealing? You know, you came out of the South Florida scene. You were moving up to New York. Was was it hard dealing with some of the old scenesters who were struggling through, um, you know, to try and achieve their own goals and get on their own stages? Did you feel like a sep uh, was it a separation, uh, a breach in the way that you could relate to them at that point? Back in Florida, you mean? Yeah, back in Florida, or or in you know, or anywhere else that you've. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it was pretty intimidating when I first got to New York and was meeting a lot of people that were like associated with like the Chrome Cranks, an old New York, you know, fierce rock and roll band um, guys from Speedball Baby and like the whole PCP entertainment scene, you know, which kind of branched off of John Spencer Blues Explosion. Okay. And, you know, it's just like, am I out of my element? Am I out of my league here? And another thing that was kind imposter, of... Like a little imposter syndrome? Yeah, exactly. And and then kind of another thing, it was like, well, where where did Sonic Youth go? Like, where is that kind of... Sonic Youth and, and what branches from there? Like, that kind of music. Yeah. Where's the experimentation? And when I got there, there was like at New York was a kind of at a lull and it seemed kind of stagnated and I didn't want to play rock and roll. I wanted to play, you know, affected rock music like like Interpol. And it, it was kind of just I was like, did I move to the wrong place? Which like is, where, which is interesting where, that you say that because there are a lot of bands from that era um, that um, that have as they've gotten older, have gotten 
more entrenched in society, you know, I mean, like, you know, like bands like the national, for example, in that, in that period of time, which are probably more popular now than they were, you know, 10 years ago. And, and, well, well this was like yeah. before this was 97 when I, when oh, I first, okay. so, um, there was really nothing that I was gravitating to that was coming out of New York. Um, and a couple of the bands that I liked seemed to be under on their downslope, like Belder Space that was once on a Matador, you know, was about to put out one of their last records. They had left Matador and it seemed kind of disappointing, you know, and I kind of used that and projected it onto the whole city. Yeah. And, you know, was just looking for something that spawned from no wave, you know, and just a little more dreamy and experimental. And uh, it just wasn't around. And everybody I met played like Detroit style rock or New York style rock music, which is cool. I didn't want to do that, though. Yeah. I I needed to be challenged, you know, and um, there was nothing to us finding like a lot of the music that had no lyrical content. And I'm a snob that way, like as a drummer, like I don't want to do it unless you know, I'm stimulated mentally. Yeah. You know, a need to, you know, all the great classic rock bands had the amazing front man and amazing drummer that delivered something better than sex, drugs, rock and roll. Yeah. Who, you know, they all had, it was all this, it was just this, this, uh, polar counterbalance. And I had that with Rob, you know, and I was about to have that with Paul. And it took three years. It was interesting. I, I read a quote from you in, in Consequence and Sound where you were talking about Dan and that time where I think he got in a fight with, with Jeff Rollison or somebody and he left the tour uh, and you talked about, I, I guess at the time you were feeling very um, tired. I mean, I, maybe, I can't remember what tour you were referencing, but you would, you were you were exhausted and kind of like over it and playing the same stuff over and over and and uh you know and then you and you talked to dan who didn't even know how he was going to get home from like i think he had bailed out in chicago and something and he had to like <laughs> like yeah. telephone people to try and get enough money to get on a you know uh, on a yeah, bus somewhere yeah awful situation he was in yeah, yeah. and uh no, we let everybody know we're not talking about daniel Kessler. sorry yeah yeah to be yeah to, sorry uh dan hosker and and uh and that after that you realize that you should just shut the hell up about, about... Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know I, I think the next album is going to be my last and he's like that's what you said the last album yeah and i was like uh i need to stop quitting this band all the time <laughs> I, for for those of, I had asked, uh, I told you earlier, I asked some some people uh, on Reddit to to submit questions, and uh, and we'll try and get to as many uh, um, as as we can. Um, we we covered we we covered the fact that you're working on uh, on new material. Uh, one one of the questions was um, after you joined Interpol, how long? And this was from uh, Tarzan. Uh, Della Selva. Um, after you joined Interpol, how long was it before you, you quit your J job? And, and I know you were working at a clothing store, right? Was that the one that you quit when you when you? Uh, yeah, yeah. I had I had earned like a, a junior partnership, luckily enough, and I think it was um, midway through the Bright Lights tour. Got it. So, um, it was midway. Rich. So it's like like you're already like a quarter of the way into the Bright Lights tour, and you still like kept your job. 
Yeah, and you know that was the whole point. You know, they were an old friend and the the owner and founder of Beacon's Closet, Carrie Peterson, was gracious enough to say, "Okay, you've earned." You know, through sweat equity, you earn like a, just a, a, per, a small percentage of the company, but you can't have it if you're not here. Yeah. Earned it through work. Not, I didn't have any financial interest in the company. And she's like, if you, you need to keep touring, let me buy you out or keep the job. And I was like, well, I, I can't because at that time I was in my early 30s and thought like, this is a lot of people retire from rock music at this age and I'm getting my chance rather late. Yeah. You know, you know, it's a lot of kids in their early twenties that, you know, I mean, my bandmate Paul is 10 years younger than me. Well, that was actually but, one of the questions. Let me, let me reference, um, uh, some, one, let me just make sure I'm, I, I give them credit for this question. Um, let me find it here. Uh, but, but essentially the question was, um, you're the oldest member of Interpol. <laughs> um, uh, how, how has, uh, how have you helped the younger members in the band? You know, what, what's it like, uh, seeing them experience things that you had been through many years before? And, and did you ever give them advice and that kind of thing? Like, like, were you considered the elder statesman in any way or by, by people outside of Interpol? I was <laughs> like being in a, with a bunch of younger brothers. They don't, they don't care what you think. Yeah. Shut up, Sam. I'll do it myself. That was disco, fe disco fever that asked disco that question. Fever. I like that. <laughs> That's a great question. I like some disco music at times. Yeah. Have you, has your age has your age in, impacted your relationship with the band or your approach? I mean, you mentioned earlier about how just being older and, and, and now having gone through a health scare that, that it's adjusted, you know, maybe now, but yeah, but, in, but before this episode, did you, uh, did you ever sense your age difference? Uh, I only did to, a, to a small degree because, you know, the guys in the band are really intelligent and were very serious about what they were doing, which, coming out of the late nineties was a relief because nobody was serious about what they were doing. And if they were, they were feigning like they didn't care, which is even worse, you know? And so I was finally in a band where it's like, there was active meetings that we had as to like what the next poster is going to look like for the next local show and what our next move is going to be. And Daniel was like saving the band's money. We were able to record bright lights before we inked the deal with Matador, we paid for that ourselves and didn't have to take a huge advance. Yeah, that's that's impressive. They didn't make you re-record it, which is amazing. Um, uh, yeah, all that all that stuff. And so, without me having to, you know, say this is how we should do it, you know, I was kind of relieved. So that kind of, in terms of like uh, what was going to happen with our the age difference and the dynamic, um, it, it was already kind of sorted out because we're playing music together. You know, and I really did feel like uh, at the best of times, they were just younger brothers. Yeah. You know, and they're all really smart. So no, nobody was doing anything really dumb that I needed to step in front of. Were you young for your age at that point? Uh, young in terms hearted, of but I've always been an old soul. Okay. You know, so I've never been, even when I was raging, you know, I did so in a quiet manner. Yeah. I didn't want to be like a fool. I didn't make, never made like a drunken fool. Well, no, that's, that's not true. That's, that's not true. 
<laughs> I'm sure that's not true. It was a surprise when it happened. Yeah. <laughs> I think the impact that I think I think I'd led by example. I think there's a lot of things that the guys in Interpol noticed in me because I didn't try to spread it onto them. Yeah. Like the fact that I just didn't give a fuck and will go and do things and don't complain about it and wasn't afraid to sweat or, you know, do physical work, you know, when we needed it and things of that nature. I, I think Paul used to say Sam's like the most rock and roll guy I know. And yeah. I think it's because of element of fearlessness, you know, I mean, I, I moved to New York with 50 bucks in my pocket at the age of like 30. <laughs> <laughs> um, some, some, there's tenacity and there's some luck involved. Yeah. You can't, you can't discount the luck. That's great. Um, someone uh, had asked what your your favorite and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll find the name, but um, someone had asked what your favorite and uh, least favorite songs uh, songs were overall. I'm curious as to, because there's such a, there is a, a for if you're a fan of Interpol, there there really is an evolution of these albums. There's a you know there's there's a wave that kind of goes through it, and um, yeah. and I'm curious as to um, your favorite you know kind of doing a lightning round here and your favorite and least favorite songs on each of these albums, uh, starting with Bright Lights. What is, is do you have a favorite or a least favorite? Uh, I, you know, there's not. I don't dislike any song on Bright Lights. Okay, well, uh, what's your favorite then? I think my favorite's Untitled. Untitled. Yeah. Um, um, and Stella, um, uh, I, you know, I don't know. I think, I think Roland would be the, see, I still like Roland a lot, but I think it's the, it's hard to say because there's some people who love that song. Well, let's assume that you like that. Well, you can tell us if you really don't like it, but, but you know, maybe it's your least favorite song among the ones that you like, you know, my least, fa- I still like it, but when right. compared if I have the, if I was a listener, I'd be playing Untitled Obstacle One way more than yeah. Roland. Got it. What about I it? love doing Roland Live though. You like doing Roland Live? <clears throat> it, re- it reminds me of Churchill's. It reminds me of the Terrors. It reminds me of where I used to be, where I come from. Yeah. It just it has that vibe. Yeah, it got that push in it. Yeah. And it, it grew. It grew as we got older as a band. You know, and lost a little bit of naivete. You know, there's something because the lyrics are so fucked up and sinister. Yeah, about a serial killer, um, is what I think anyway. And Paul delivering that like it, later in life is just so much more uh, direct. Yeah, you know, it, it, even on your newest album, I, I think it was "Flight of Fancy" that reminded me a lot of of, of your work with the Terrors. Um, um, but there was, maybe yeah. maybe it was a different song. But, I, but um, okay, so let's 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 keep going, just because for this, I want to. I've got a lot to cover here, and and, and I, don't, I don't have a time limit, but uh, the you know the listeners may. I have no idea. I don't care. I'll keep going forever. For, mm-hmm. Rob's like, be prepared. Be prepared for this to be a a, a thirty or three hour podcast. <laughs> with Sam, he likes to, he likes to he likes to answer questions verbosely or something like that. Um, <laughs> uh, antics. What your favorite? Do you have a, and, and your least of your favorites? Uh, antics favorite. Uh, public pervert. Yeah, uh, great song. Yeah, I love that song. Um, that least favorite. Uh, no, I don't have like. Uh, I guess next exit 
like I like it as a recording, but I think it's one of those. So we played it so much live, and it doesn't have the same. It it is a song that's meant to be affected. Yeah, you know, it, it doesn't have the same impact. I mean, people may disagree, which is nice, but uh, you know, it should have just been a studio song, and it it was a pain in the ass to arrive at. It was supposed to be on bright lights, and I I didn't let it happen. How uh, how do you guys form, just to take just to stop for a second because I'm curious how do you form your set list? Um, is that is that something Paul does or um, Daniel huh Daniel doesn't? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he protects it like a child. And and do you do you have impact to say hey I don't really want to play this song or that song because it's just not rolling? I mean like I obviously have an opinion but but do, do you get severe debate? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um. But I have to say, like, you know, he what he tries to do is, like, make sure that some everybody in the audience the out of the people that are possibly there are going to be satisfied. And I like the fact, too, that it's just like there's no no issue with playing, you know, the hits, quote unquote. Yeah. You know, I did. I definitely called out a couple of times like it's a greatest hit set and that sucks. You know, there's you know, there's going to be a spectrum of people there. And I do believe as a band, it's up to us to like make the people like the song they're not familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. Deliver it in a way. Um, so for the most part, like it kind of covers like a couple deep tracks, you know, some B sides. And then, you know, always like every fourth song is going to be something that people love. You have such an, uh, there's such a visual aspect to your shows. Uh, uh, you know, with the, especially most recently with with the videos in the background, and you have you have such a, it's so well orchestrated. Do you, it, how much leeway do you have to make a call and say, hey, I'm going to put this obscure track in? In, I mean, does how much le- leeway does Daniel have, or does is it is it so tight that you just don't have that opportunity unless you really plan for it? It can get too tight. It can get because I do believe that like at a certain point you've honed the set or whatever, like you may have a few variations of the same set. As much as I would like to change it up a lot, you get really good at playing that set. Yeah. And it's, you're playing a whole show, you know, it has to be good from top to bottom. And I think when something's so well executed, it's worth it. One of the things I noticed when I, when I got to see you guys live is how rabid your fan base is. And, um, and how, I mean, these, this is a group that knows the words to the song you know, mm. and, and 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 are singing along, and 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 maybe that's a function of the repetition of the set list, and it's kind of it, there's there's some tradition in the same way that you know you know Springsteen's going to play Born to Run, and there's so you know like there's certain things that you're going to hit along the way that's going to be in every single set, you know, no matter what. But um, I, that might have something to do with it. You know, it's like something they can count on. Like you, you just you have to remember when you were in those shoes like if you went to see someone like bowie and he didn't play heroes or didn't play let's dance or blue jean or something that was like ma- massively respect or fame something popular it would be a fucking bummer yeah yeah it would be a bummer. Yeah. like as much as you like all the material it's like you know i mean there's one aspect yeah you can listen to it on the radio or on the radio i am so 50 50- <laughs> radio <laughs> you listen to it at home you know yeah. 
And but, well, yeah, I know I can listen to it at home. I came to see play it. Yeah. What so, about um, uh, uh, the idea that um, that these bi- th- these set lists are like um, how do I how do I describe? It? I mean, you've got the set list, but but um, as you as you introduce your new material, and and as for my money, your your new material is is as strong as anything that you've ever put out. I mean, I, I think the last two records are are great, and you know, and, and I'm a I'm a fan of the old stuff, particularly Antics is you know I would I would put Antics as, as one of my faves, um, but I but but it's got to be challenging. When when your new stuff is, it's, a lot of bands think that like the all my new stuff is as good as the old stuff, but this stuff is critically accepted as as good as the old stuff. So so, you, how do you shoehorn that in in something as difficult when you're in a twenty year band? I think there's a it's something to be said about a couple guys in the band who want to experiment, and while doing so, another one doesn't throw the kitchen sink out yeah so i think with daniel and this is not a slight where he stays really true to himself he he knows what he does he knows what he likes you know what i mean he has it's a really good command over it i mean dude wears the same thing every day (laughs) and i get i get it like he doesn't want to think about what to put on he has other things to think about yeah and you know he plays the same guitar through the same amp and you can count on him for coming up with these structures and and using these chords and these notes and i think with paul and i kind of venturing off you know a little a little further out you know kind of counterbalances something that's very familiar you know with something that the band hasn't done before yeah so i think with a lot of bands you know they either stagnate by doing the same thing over and over again or they just lose the plot. They just become a shadow of themselves, and you don't know what to do. You can't you can't listen to them anymore. Have your side projects provided you with enough uh, freedom to experiment to where you, when you come back to Interpol, and and perhaps it's not not quite as rigid. You know, sorry, not quite as flexible as you you yeah. might have done if it, if if you were writing the set list. But but you've gotten some of that. Uh, you know, scronking out of the, out of the way, you know? Exactly. That's what it provides. Yeah. And it, it, it brings joy back into the fold. It makes me want to return home. Yeah. Let's get to, yeah. um, let's get, I want to hear the, the rest of this, this list here real quick. Uh, our love to admire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. I can't stand. I could say this unabashedly. Um, who do you think that is there? It was ruined before it even was even recorded. There were so many, like, foolish, like, ego-ridden arguments over, like, what is the verse and what is the chorus. A lot of dick measuring. <laughs> I was stuck in the middle of it. It was yeah. the dumbest thing, uh, you know, I recall. You had the middle dick? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> we really are breaking a lot of news here i think on this on yeah, this podcast maybe, right maybe, about, maybe. about you yeah penis <laughs> inverted <laughs> um, it was just ridiculous you know i think there's a lot of tension between carlos and paul i mean you know carlos would be leaving the next record he yeah. was definitely on his way out and as opposed to like how you said 
with Paul and, and myself doing a lot of solo material, we don't try to like change Interpol's face all the time. You know, it kind of stays intact where he wanted to do that. He, Carlos did, yeah. Yeah, he became, yeah. he considered himself a film composer now, and that's all he wanted to do. Like, bring in the fucking strings. Yeah, which you hear to, to a degree in the next album, but but yeah. Yeah, but like not, to, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Like, just go over the top, why don't you? And it was that kind of, that, that tug and pull there, you know, where he, and he just wanted to, like, really start controlling everything and really didn't care about where we came from. And, um, and that song it, was the product it, of that 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 disagreement. It really was yeah. a culmination of that. The good examples are like um, I would say, "Pioneer to the Falls," mm -hmm. and uh, wait, "Pioneer to the Falls," and "Pace is the Trick." Yeah, and I are, love those songs. Are 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 those your favorite to play live as well? We don't do paces a trick that much. I like playing chemistry live a lot. Okay. Rest my chemistry because it's so it's it's a challenge to play because it's so slow. Okay. How about the next album, Interpol, the self-titled? Yeah, I have a soft spot for that record, but I think a lot of the songs are really fractional or fragmented. You know, there's a kind of wasn't as realized as it should be, and a big reason was where Carlos was really quitting the band. Yeah. And we were, it was actively him quitting, leaving a relationship. It took him a year to do. Yeah. And we'd go to rehearse and we'd end up talking for three hours instead of playing a note of music. And Frankie, my oldest daughter, was just born and I hated being there. I hated being there if we weren't playing. And it would go to the extreme where that's all I cared about which they couldn't understand because they didn't have children. Yeah. And it's, but you really, hard. this was time wasted on your part. Yeah. Oh yeah. my God. I felt really guilty and just didn't want to be there for any arguments and didn't know how to diffuse them. I didn't, I wasn't the older gentleman at that point. Like yeah. I was angry and bitter. And so was everybody else, you know? So it's a, it's, it's a beautiful album. I mean, it's, it's a very different album, but it's, but I mean, I, I was listening to it today and, and it's, you know, I, I forgot how much I liked it. I mean, it was it it's it really it, it has movements. It's it's not, you know, it's not it stands out among a lot on your albums in, in in terms of its textures. But it's but I, I understand what you're saying in terms of being fractured. But it's 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 definitely a different album that just fits a different place in your in your uh, in your catalog. Yeah, it, you know, I would wonder like if we did it as a as an alternate like a alter ego band. Yeah. Oh, that would be what's an EP. It'd be interesting to see if you, you know, maybe it's a project for for later, but maybe you go back and revisit, you know, remix remix it and retouch, you know, and and reapproach it. That would be an interesting project. You know? interesting. I don't think that would ever happen in this band. Probably not. But <laughs> agree on a cover because that's time wasted from not writing a new song. Makes sense. What so? What are the songs that your your favorite and least favorites on that one? Uh. My favorite, my favorite is uh, success. Mm -hmm. Success memory serves two of my favorites for sure. Uh, uh, let's see. I can't remember the one that I like the least. I can't remember the title of it. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to read the titles to you? <laughs> 
What's song song four? Song four is uh hold on. Hold on. Uh song four is uh lights. Whoop. I like oh, lights. Sorry. Yeah, light so you got success memory search, summer well, lights, barricade, always malaise, safe with uh try it on, all of the ways try, the end of try it on, I'm not too Got it. That was a a pain in the ass to write. And you know, I say that it's my least favorite it might not, not have anything to do with like the tone and temperament of the song. Uh-huh. But you know, I think from my perspective, it's like, I can't help to think of what I went through. You know, if a song is a bookmark in time, like a mental bookmark or a soundtrack of a moment, yeah. you know, I don't get the, the benefit of that in, in a case where all I can remember is a lot of angst working on it. And I remember it coming down to because there's so much sequenced in that song that when we rehearsed it i was the only one playing in the room because it was like a track it was a sequenced piano part that daniel had written and then very little other instrumentation and uh it's just like am i doing drumming karaoke here yeah it just didn't feel it just didn't feel right it had just no soul and i remember being lorded over no no you missed a transition and i was like we're am i playing something i can't tell yeah el, el pintor or el pintor I, I don't dislike any song on el pintor man yeah that that was a sign of it's a solid we, album i remember you playing me tracks in the car in my in my yeah. car that, that I, paul hadn't recorded his vocals and, and yeah. rob and i are just like Oh my God, this is going to be uh, huge for you guys. It was just a return to form and everything. But more than that, it was, I mean, it was, I think. I, mean, I think I played all the rage for you guys. Yeah. Well, you played that and um, uh, uh, the second track. Um, um, stand by here. Uh, I heard, I, I heard my desire. I know that I heard my desire, and I think I heard my blue supreme or something. I, I'm not. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, that's one of my favorites. Yeah, it's a. Uh, that's our. David, I, God, Daniel would kill me if he heard this, but that's like our David Bowie track. <laughs> I can mind, hear that. In my mind, that's like. <laughs> <laughs> Why would he kill I, you? Why would he kill you? He hate, He does not. He doesn't compare, like compares. No, not at all. But. um I mean, that's who I uh, kind of refer to, like drumming wise. Yeah. And I remember when we were working on that album, I was always bringing Bowie up as an example. Just for not not for, you know, the musicality of things, not for chords or anything, but just for the dynamics Mm. of of something. The way Bowie would build up like that song. Which era Bowie are you thinking of at this moment? Station to station. Station to station. Got it. TV one five. It it gets to a fevered pitch without a cymbal crash. You know, it just like it just gets louder. Yeah. They just build up and background vocals come in. And I thought that was a good exercise in like really express dynamics, really like conveying a, a higher emotion from where you were. Mm-hmm. And then right going right back to like that song is so bizarre because it. It almost has like a, a like kind of a roadside, you know, ragtimey with that piano, with that console piano. Yeah, really bizarre with those background vocals, and it's very angular at the same time. Do you find, um, as a drummer, that uh, 
there was a period of times where like when I, I was I was getting really into Tom Waits and as as you know fronting my own band, I, I remember just telling my drummer like Chris Sheldon at the time, be like, I'm taking away all your symbols. I'm, I just I just want to take away all your symbols and let's just do you know let's just do toms and shit like that. You know, just kicking toms and just that's it. You know, and he was it was very frustrating to him. He he complied and he's a great guy, but it, but it was very frustrating to him. Do you find that um, that like in order to um, bring something new that, I mean, cause you're, you're very much a high hat guy. I mean, I, I, I would say, you know, for my, you know, but do you, are there times where you're just like, okay, I'm not touching the hi hat, you know, at least until the third act of this song or, or, or whatever that you, that you deliberately pull out tools to get a different part. I think it's important. Yeah, actually. Um, I see, I can never take it to me. It's like kick snare hi hat. If you can't do it with that, then forget about any kind of like not just rock but like r&b you know even hip-hop especially yeah it's it's near hi-hat anything kind of modern pan rock music you know um it kicks there and hi-hat as i go about the beat um i've taken toms away i've recorded without cymbals what i did was like no ride cymbal okay don't default to the ride. Like the thing, it's kind of lazy. I can't think of something. Default to the ride and wash it out. And then, you know, when I brought it back in, it was like, make sure it's not washy when you hit it. Like ping, like dry ping. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I'll bring all that stuff back. But for a spell, I'll just go without it so I could focus on what's really needed and then let it kind of reveal itself. And I, I've been in in your drummer's position where I've played with people who are like, you know, try to do more like this. And I would see the point, but it would be, from my perspective, you got to write that song. Yeah. yeah. You're not writing that song, but you want me to cop what that drummer is doing. But you're not, give me the composition and I'll try my damnedest. But we're still, we're still playing the Beatles and you want me to be Tom Waits' drummer in the Beatles. Right. And, it doesn't it's not gonna happen yeah of what yeah and to be clear i was neither well marauder marauder um uh any any favorites or at least on those those? uh oh i again man uh there's nothing i really that bugs me on that record favorites wise um rover is fun writing the rover was fun there's an interesting like Daniel has always been categorically against drum fills. <laughs> like really, like almost I just don't like drum fills. And one army one argument can be, well, you're you're kind of handcuffing me compositionally because it's not all about wanking. It's yeah. it can be very cool and, and either signal transition or you know, a different emotion. Like you're you can't take away my voice. I'm gonna take your pedals away. Yeah. I'm gonna take away your E string. Your high E string, what are you going to do then? Take away your B string, Daniel. <laughs> you know, and or your boost pedal. Yeah, your boost pedal. Just throw it over yeah, the top. Exactly. Or yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, what I did like about his categor- categorical, like, you know, kind of uh, disregard for drum fills was if I was going to do one, it has to be right. No matter how long, how many measures it takes, or how short it is. So it cre- it does create well it creates some tension it creates some quality control, and by the time we got to Tarbox Road, Dave Fridman's studio upstate New York, um, we were all there together, always there together. 
for two weeks at a time. And I would always wake up and go rehearse or rehearse the songs the night before till about three o'clock in the morning. And I remember having some roughs to play to. And it was just so blown away by podly down a, a rough vocal take. And I was just on fire. And those fills kind of came out. And not and, having those fills like really forces the song to, you, you got to find the song, like you, to your earlier point, it, the song has to carry the dynamics in some of those cases, right? Yeah, it, and it, it does those fills. They inform something. And what I cued off of was Paul's vocal. And what was really pleasing and made me very happy was that Daniel was like, I had to, I'm not a Phil's guy and I fucking love that. Yeah. So he felt he, he finally got to feel what I was talking about. Like what a Phil can be part of the beat of the song. You know, it's always, I think it's really important that the rhythm doesn't drop, you know, the, the uh, and, and I think in, you, you hear perhaps some of his, uh, relaxing about that point in Marauder where, you know, like on number 10 and parties over, you're, you're throwing a lot more, I don't know, they're not fills per se, but there, there's a lot more going on drum wise um, yeah. than, than historically, you know, you know uh, yeah. It, well, you know, the songs presented themselves, yeah. you know, it, I'm definitely, I'm one to start off conservatively, you know, I, I, actually, when we work on the song, like I'll when we're together, like I'll throw a lot in at one time, and take it away, you know, layer by layer, and then once I get back to the basics again, see what really works, you know, and especially having Dave Fridman there, you know, as a producer, you know, with we gave him final say, you know, everybody had a lot more confidence, yeah. In, like it was kind of like you know just let me go hog wild if you don't like something see what he does see what dave does you know and have some faith that you know if he's gonna let something stick it means it's working yeah he i don't know if a lot of people know this about him like he is very well learned musically he's a voice major like he can sing music like he could just call the notes like the most obscure note in in your head. I mean, him and his wife. Yeah. So he he knows all this. He could do the flaming lips <clears throat> till the cows come home, like to the left of the of the spectrum. But he can go very far to the right and can be very conservative musically. He's very well learned and he's an auto engineering teacher. So he's pretty proper. So that's how he acted as a producer. He wasn't disparaging, nor did he prop you. It, it was like, if I wasn't giving it my all or kind of really didn't deliver a take, he's like, let's do it again. Yeah. And it wasn't like you're sucking what the fuck's wrong with you. Or he was like, yeah, man, that's super cool. But one more time, you know, it's just like, hey, let's do it again. And then he'd go, hey, I think you should have a listen to this. And then he'd go, tell me what you think. And they're just, <laughs> you know, you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I love that approach, though. I love how he always he, he never let you stop thinking like he didn't allow for that to happen. And you kind of knew you learned his approach and how he definitely how he arrived at, like, you know, the final take. But you had to work until you got there. Is he producing this? Is he going to produce this next one? 
Uh, okay, we'll get it. We'll figure that out later on. Yeah, that's this. I'm gonna fuck with everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Got it. Got it. (laughs) I put you on the spot there. I'm sorry. Everything, everybody. Yeah. Um, I want to get to some of the Reddit questions. Um, one one question. Uh, you've got a little side project going on. Uh, uh, how do you pronounce this? Tepo or 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 Tepo? Uh, it's uh. Tepo Magico. Tepo Magico. And and uh, will that be doing any live streams uh, while you're in the, the concert wasteland? Like Tidal Wave well, 38? Yeah, I mean, uh, okay. It, it's a friend named Jesse who's um, done a lot of music on his own. Very incredible musician. And he's on fire. I mean, he's Jesse's, const- la- Jesse's last name? I can't pronounce it. Okay. i just don't want to say it wrong fair enough we actually don't know each other that well i mean we we met because he started this record label with brandon curtis from secret machines slash you know interpol keyboard player and initially it was i was going to be releasing some sam fogarino stuff yeah i did put out just like a you know no fanfare a single through Bandcamp. And um, that he kind of produced, remixed slash remixed. Did you put it out as as you or as Empty Mansions or as me? As as, okay. Yeah, yeah okay. Empty Mansions is Empty Mansions. Okay, yeah. got it. Um, and so you know, I started working on more of my stuff, and in the meantime, I was negotiating with Warner Chapel Publishing, uh, signing with them as a bespoke. Loser. Yeah, I apologize for the stupid dog. Yeah, good. Lincoln, uh, shut up. Go ahead. And so, um, so working on a bunch of different stuff, and he sends me. He has this idea with a couple of the guys from and girls from the roster of uh, the label, which is called Max Min, short for Max Maximum Minimum. Um, he's like, here. I, I'm thinking, like, you know, in the in the in the spirit of 4 AD, how they did this Mortal Coil with like everybody from the roster playing on this, on these, on this music. I kind of want to do that. So he sends me this track and I love it. This is different than anything I have done or will do, you know, or done on my own, done with the band. And, um, he just kind of, is like, I want to do more. (laughs) So kind of put my proper solo stuff on the back burner to kind of continue with, providing some you know noises and drums and stuff uh for tepo magico um so we'll see you know i mean he does play live that's what that's what he's all about you know even though he's mainly an electronic guy he plays guitar he plays other instruments um but he does want to play live and it might have to be a live stream thing yeah before you know before we could uh do it in front of people but you know it's antithesis of Interpol, so that's why it's speaking. It's kind of fun to to stretch a little, yeah. Yeah. What uh, yeah. do you have a few more minutes to talk? A few. Yeah. yeah great. Um, what uh, this is a bracelet uh, on on Reddit. That's uh, that's your username or his. I assume I don't know. It's somebody's username. Uh, asked. Um, uh, there you. 
Yeah, what what the hell on empty on the Empty Mansions album? What what does FTC mean? Because they can't find the lyrics and they love it and they love the way that you sing. Said, I love I love that record and his voice is amazing. Wow! So there you go. Oh, well, that's flattering. Yeah, it's nice. It is very nice. Um. Well, wow, FTC. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's the internet, so FT stands for fuck the cops. Now that's not my sentiment, totally. But it's the char- uh, the character of the song, or, or well, or, the song is a true story. Okay, uh, you know, as as uh, dare I say, as poetic or angular as it may be, I when I was a, a young man or young boy, just post adolescent, I worked at a, a used auto parts salvage yard in Philadelphia, in West Philadelphia, called Zombies Used Auto Parts. I would strip cars, and there was a guy called Kenny Rags who worked there who was a ex-Pagan's motorcycle gang member, or he'd stop riding with them. I think once you're in, you're in, and uh, he taught me how to ride a motorcycle, so the song's really about like uh, working there and being enamored. I had like such a little boy crush on Kenny. I thought he was such a badass, and he treated me with what seemed like um not rejection but just like uh derision yeah kind of like whatever kid but i think he really liked me like looking back as an adult like yeah i saw on that and it didn't matter because i would do it uh you know hey kenny what's going on how you doing what's going on today and he would be sleeping in the car <laughs> you know in a, <laughs> a junked car <clears throat> you know hung over from god knows what he did the night before so he taught me how to ride a bike. It was a little, my friend's little ADCC thing, but he had me full throttle going 55 miles an hour on an inner city street in Philadelphia. And it was an incredible, although very full-hearted and dangerous experience, it was incredible. I mean, I was so slight as a little kid, like my head was cocked because the wind was so fierce. And I had a helmet on and it was too heavy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so later on, he gave me a helmet, and I noticed that on the crown of the helmet, it was it was cracked, and then on the back of the helmet, it had FTC painted uh, on it. And uh, I said, "That Kenny, story turned out a lot nicer than I thought it was going to turn." <laughs> well, I, I asked him. I said, um, "Kenny, what does FTC mean?" And he's like, "Listen, kid." Um, I'll just tell you this. Don't wear that around the cops. So it's not, it's not my badassness. Yeah. That it's, about, it's about, it's about his. That's cool. Um, what place or city, this is from Wawaston, uh, which place or city surprised you the most while touring and in which way? Los Angeles. Los Angeles. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cause I, I had a very narrow view. I'd never been there before. We played there. Well, we shot a video in L.A. before we shot a video for NYC, which is the first video we ever shot uh, before we ever played there. But that was a very kind of insular experience. Um, But, you know, I didn't I didn't know what L.A. was into, you know, and on the East Coast, you have the bad perception of L.A. being fake and plastic, which is true to a degree. But so is New York, you know, like everyone has that. 
you know, there's a Rodeo Drive everywhere and there's rich people everywhere. And there's that element everywhere you go. It's in Atlanta. It's in Philadelphia. It's in Chicago. And, you know, but you tend to kind of um, that's all you take in. And it's like, well, what is Interpol going to do there? And we're not like heavy metal or overt rock and roll. And much to my surprise, not only did we go over well, but there was a lot that attracted me about the city. Yeah. There's so much good, way more than what people were turned off by. And the fact that we had such a strong Latin uh, representation, you know, coming out to see us, like, it it almost made me, it almost brought me to tears that yeah. we, because out of my own short-sightedness, I didn't know if Latin kids would be into this post-punk shit. You know, I thought maybe just like, the 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 societal rules say uh you know only latina music and like hip-hop mm. you know what what the fuck are they going to care about interpol yeah and, uh, and you realized that was not tr- true at all and you know, oh yeah. I, far from the truth like yeah. quite the opposite which was a joy yeah to have that destroyed because not only was it not true they're like the best fans we have oh my god when i when, when nick and i came out to see you guys uh in uh, I think it was Pomona at the Fox. Uh, at the theater, yeah, yeah, man. Uh, you know, it was like um, the the closest corollary I can I could come up with was like a guided by voices concert where where you know like they were like everybody knew every word and they were dancing and that you know they got whole it, it was the energy level uh, was just through the roof. It was I mean like it was like going. To a Springsteen, oh, as I mentioned Springsteen earlier, I don't know why I thought, but because I'm such a Springsteen fan, I've been to so many of them. But but there's some of that that real energy, like the fan base is so crazy about you, and it's and and, and I you know I know that I'm sure there's many cities in which that occurs, but I, as as someone that's seen a lot of concerts, I this was this was special. It was, you know, and it was it was there was something different about this one uh, yeah. for me at least. You know, are the shows that that have a lot of Latinas and Latinos, a lot of brown people. Yeah. Um, they're some fun, man. Yeah. There's some real energy. And um, not to dismiss any white and black folks. Yeah. Um, Dublin, although there's not many black people in Dublin, um, Dublin delivers too. And, um, you know, I'd love to play in Africa one time. Yeah. That would be cool. There's, there's, well, apparently there's um, kind of a scene. I forget exactly where. I think Brad actually has played in Africa. Uh-huh. Festival in Africa. And I, I would hope that it wasn't just a bunch of hipster white people visiting. Yeah. Um, I would hope that there was some kind of exchange there. A few more questions. But uh, Busted Hinge here uh, was asking... Um, you know, kind of noted that you tend to speed up the tempos in the live performances, not, not you per se, but the band, um, that, that, that they're a little faster than on record. Um, uh, and is, is that a deliberate choice or is that the energy of the crowd that, that carries you? I think it's always, when you don't play to a click track live and, uh, you know, I think, it's kind of like the police were like that way yeah. back in the day. Oh yeah, you listen to those old live records and they're just Yeah, I think it's just the it, you know uh, sometimes I don't like it and try to pull it back cuz sometimes it it can lose its its feel. 
but I think overall it's like excitement. Yeah. Um, is it some of that comes from Dan because he starts, you know, he's starting it right. But also the material, yeah, yeah. or we'll speed it up. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just a, I think it's just an energy thing. But you know, I think there's a happy medium that needs to be struck, which is a constant search. This this yeah. this guy also noted uh, how does a man so successfully rock the transparent eyeglasses? <laughs> so, I uh, they're, not, <laughs> they're not transparent today, but but uh, yeah. the, the 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 lenses are transparent. That's as close. That's close. Uh, <laughs> what um, and, um one question uh, that came up, and I think this is a really good question. Um, how COVID is obviously created a nightmare for for the venues it's created a nightmare for the touring acts your crew i'm sure i don't know i mean you were on high you kind of were on break anyway but yeah. um but we, yeah uh, they would they should be they would have been gearing up they would have gotten their notice yeah that in maybe four months from now we would have done some shows perhaps uh, they were asking what you know what's the best way we can support interpol and really any artists and their crew right now I mean, I, I would assume the answer to this is once you guys put stuff out uh, and once you guys start touring, uh, go get, go buy some tickets and come out, right? But, yeah, if it's deemed safe enough. Yeah. Um, see what there is locally, yeah. you know, in a way that you could help. I mean, what was really cool is Matador, our record label, uh, for certain key key, mem- key crew members that have been with us forever um they kind of gifted them like uh, uh i i don't know what the amount Some was support yeah yeah and it wasn't just our crew it was oh, like added to a roster um and so you know any way like it, it, that you could help in terms of of uh donations or whatever like through something organized yeah um yeah you've been spending a lot of uh, obviously as we learned recovering but but uh what's it like being a father of a toddler in covid uh <laughs> wow I mean, I mean i'm glad on one hand i'm glad she's so young yeah um because it, it would it's hard i i can see how hard it is on my older daughter yeah um but it's it's almost surreal. It's almost like living in this imaginary, you know, Twilight Zone episode, where it's just you know, it, it almost feels like she's never going to get older. Yeah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but she's um, obviously she's unaffected and is a very, very willful and mostly happy child. So she makes me and my partner Lee, she makes both of us laugh as hard as we can, yeah. you know, um, of course, you know, parents are going to think their child is cute and does cool things, but what does Lee do? <clears throat> hangs out, man. Yeah. So but, yeah, he's a, he's a painter. Nice. Yeah. So, so and Lee care of our child. Yeah. You know? Um, I'm old fashioned that way. Like if Lee wanted to have a job, like I would definitely not stand in the way of that. I'd be in support of it. No matter if Lee wanted to, do a show painting or you know take some uh you know graphic design clients or whatever that'd be great but she wants to raise our child yeah and i could provide that thankfully and i think it's the best the best thing like in 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 support of 
motherhood. I mean, you, you tend to take long tours. Um, yeah. what, what's your, you know, as, as you start to look forward, and I, I know you're, you haven't even recorded the record yet, but I presume you're starting to think about the next, you know, th- there's a backlog of musicians that want to go tour, so you have to get in line, right? At some, at some level. At, at some level, we do, but thankfully, we're, you know, kind of an established name. And I think to a certain degree, we might be dependent on. Yeah. And bands of, of Interpol's caliber and above are going to be needed to. I think it's a lot of people want to go out now and, you know, kind of get this over with. But I think on a big scale, people are going to be cautious. Like festivals are going to be the thing that picks up first because it's outdoors. Yeah. And it's going to be much safer than, you know, kind of, um, get, you know, going into a, a closed venue that's fairly small with poor circulation. I think people are going to be very hesitant about, I am, I'm going to be about that. Are you getting the vaccine? When it's ready. Yeah. When, whenever they'll let me have it. Yeah. I, uh, just keep getting tested. So I imagine, I I think you're, you're right about the vet, you know, the festivals. I I imagine that, uh, after being cooped up for a year, year, you know, year and a half, or maybe, you know, hopefully no longer than a year and a half before this really gets going. But, um, that that it will be somewhat like the roaring 20s, 20s as we emerge out of this and and you know people are just going to embrace I, I know for myself that I don't want to even, I, if I can I, I love my house but I don't want to be here for like <laughs> months <laughs> you know, like we're gonna get I want to do everything I can afford to do if you know probably you know or, or, or that or that Nicole will let me you know and so uh, I am and a lot of that's getting to go see live bands and and, and this kind of stuff yeah. I hope I hope that translates uh, well for you guys you know I, we're, you know it's already being planned out as best as it can from this point in time yeah and it's a minute before it happens but there's already stuff in the works you think so. summer will see uh, some Interpol live shows maybe Okay. We're still going to be. We're going to start recording. uh, I'm not going to say date, but towards the end of the summer. So we're not not ready yet. Yeah. Um. And then you know a new record's coming. That's definite. And there'll be you know a subsequent tour after that. Do you? uh, Where did you record the last uh, album? At Tarbox. Okay. Tarbox Road with Dave Fridman. And and uh, do you anticipate uh, returning there? Or do you think you're going to go try something else out? That's what w- was between you and I. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Um, I'm asking a lot of personal questions today. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> like three hours, question, yeah. three hours back. <laughs> <laughs> three hours back. Dave Fridman and as to whether we're going to work with him again, and I was like, I'll tell uh, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand. Uh, you know it. I know who, everything will be announced, you know. Gotcha. Gotcha. Do your, um, the, do the other, uh, does Paul and Dan, do they listen to, I mean, you're, you're, you're probably the most prolific when it comes to press interviews and, and, uh, you, you tend to, you tend to be, uh, you know, out there a little bit more that I, at least from my perspective, um, do they, uh, read everything and look and listen to everything or, and, and give you notes or, uh, or does, no, no, yeah. they, 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 they like the fact that um, uh, a little less guarded, and if I'm not careful, I'll end up doing way more than I should. <laughs> the press and you know, so yeah. well, that's whatever, what, yeah, 
something at the venue that's going to be on camera. They'll be like, hey, Sam, uh, will you, will you go do that? Yeah. Or any kind of ID or something. <laughs> hey, Sam will do it, you know. Get right on. Well, yeah. well, Sam, I, I uh, um, really, uh, I, I love this, and this was so much fun. Um, I, I, I hope we can have you back uh, when when the record's done. We can talk about oh, that. Yeah. And when, there's so many more stories, and uh, there's other other questions I didn't get to uh, from the Reddit community. And and what I'll do next time is do. I didn't. I got I got such a big response. I didn't realize that I. Um, and next time I'll 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 do more of that and compile it and get you know and and and. We'll get to uh, get deeper into the uh, Fogarino mind, as it were, where, where, which is. Uh, I don't know if we want to go there. <laughs> um, th- thanks again for uh, for uh, for being here, and um, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. My pleasure. <laughs>